Pull yourself up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable. Welcome to the Energy Roundtable. This is the first week of November. If you think you have a smudge on your screen, it's not a smudge. I'm participating in November for the first time and can't grow a mustache. Uh, and I will welcome my uh, co-host, as always, who is also participating, but not by growing a mustache, Lisa Katz. Welcome, Lisa. Yes, thank you very much, Matt. Yes, I am participating in uh, basically walking or running, but in my case, I will be walking it uh, 60 kilometers uh, over the course of November. So, cool. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, all of us are finding our way to support. Um, so let's jump right in. This is a special COP26. COP26. We're not really sure how it's pronounced, <laughs> but uh, we are. There's a big event going on in Scotland right now, where all the world's leaders and brightest minds are solving the world's problems, and they'll come back and come down from the mountain and show us the two tablets and tell us all how it's supposed to be. Uh, so today we are going to talk about some of the articles and the stories that are coming out of that, and um, Lisa is going to kind of walk us through the articles, and then we're going to talk about them. So Lisa, lead us on. Okay, sounds good. So I've got four here. Um, maybe before I give you the article titles and start into them, I will just kind of start off by um, reading off a quick, uh, what would you call it, message from the Queen. Mm, uh, she had, yeah, well, you know, she she couldn't attend in person like she wanted to. So she uh, she put out a video recording last week. And this is what it says. It says, recognize and I can't put the British accent on, otherwise I would do it, <laughs> recognize that the time for words has now moved to the time for action. I, for one, hope that this conference will be one of those rare occasions where everyone will have the chance to rise above the politics of the moment and achieve true statesmanship. History has shown that when nations come together in common cause, there is always room for hope. So if that kind of sets the stage in some ways for some of these articles, there's a lot of change that really is starting to kind of come out of this, which is interesting. Well, um, if, it, if anybody has perspective on that change, it's her. I mean, uh, you know, all all that she has seen at her, uh, you know, older uh, age, she's seen a lot of the change. So yeah, uh, in 95 years, 95 years. Amazing. Uh, oh, I know. So the perspective is helpful. So that's great. I'm glad you started there. So I will, uh, the first article is PM Trudeau pledges at uh, COP26 or COP26, however you're pronouncing it. I'll just keep it as COP26 for the purposes of further discussion sure. and how they might affect Canadians. So this is actually just a really good summary. So all of these articles I have actually pulled, except for actually this one, this one's from CTV News. The rest of them are that I'm covering off the day are from the Toronto Star. But I like this one just because it shows and, and talks a little bit about some of the changes that Trudeau spoke about on uh, Monday and Tuesday. Um, so I'll start off at the top. And the, the, the first part is the price on pollution. So currently more than 20% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions are covered by a price on carbon. And so Trudeau has basically through this conference called for world leaders to come together and triple that figure. Um, and what he said in quotations is what a strong carbon price does when it's properly designed is actually drive those price signals to the private sector, transform the economy and support citizens in encouraging them to make better choices. Um, so obviously our current price on carbon sits at about $40. I shouldn't say sits about. It is $40 per ton. It's set to rise to $170 per ton by 2030. Um and so there was, I, I don't know if it's in any of the articles that I'll be covering off today, but I've been sort of reading a whole bunch during the week. And one of the discussions was, 
you know, there's there's many countries out there and almost every country has a different kind of carbon price. So, you know, do we try to kind of, you know, uh, uh, come up with some sort of standard approach for all of the countries to follow that might be unfair based on the economic status of some countries and so on. Uh, but anyways, um, I'll, I'll just stop there. Um, then the next one is a cap on emissions. So Trudeau promised on Monday, a cap on Canadian oil and gas emissions. This is a big line, yeah. big, uh, big headline. An item on the Liberal Party platform during the election campaign. So he has pledged to reduce emissions by 40 to 45 percent compared to 2005 levels by uh, 2030. So big, big headline. Um, this kind of falls into one of the other articles. So I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'm sure. doing this somewhat purposely. But... Uh, the next article is Kenny says PM's emission targets are unrealistic. And really what the article is talking about is that he believes that, uh, first of all, first of all, you know, Alberta was not, uh, consulted on this mm. or Premier Jason Kenny was not consulted. And so he is afraid that, um, you know, it's unrealistic. It's going to be devastating to the entire economy. Um, they're, they're looking at carbon capture technologies. This is Alberta, that means. And the development of energy sources such as blue hydrogen, uh, which is derived from methane and natural gas. And so he just feels like this was just a, some sort of blanket statement that was put out. And he felt like he was a little bit, you know, caught off guard by that. Um, don't in some ways blame him, but at the same time, obviously, you know, Trudeau's coming at this from a, a very, uh, top line federal approach. So I kind of get that as well. Um, and then just a further comment on the cap on emissions, Trudeau also stated that a goal of net zero emissions in the oil and gas sector, um, is required by 2050. Uh, no additional details were provided on how Canada would achieve the target. According to Green Party MP Elizabeth May, though, uh, she doesn't think that's a good enough target. And, uh, she says the focus should be on cutting oil and gas production, not on emissions. So that's that second one. Mm. Uh, third one is clean electricity. Oh, sorry. Did you want to say something, Matt? No. So you you got four things from Trudeau. Yeah. Basically, just, there's a well, a little more than that. Yeah. These are all the kind of highlights. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's certainly making a lot of waves. For those who didn't follow the news, he made a lot of waves when he announced his uh, minister of environment was a former uh, Greenpeace activist, right? So, I mean, for those who are surprised by these announcements, you know past performance predicts future behavior like this is all lining up um and you know so the, so the the price on carbon piece i mean that's that's old that's old news at this point right and, that's and right. as hard as it is for me to swallow another liberal uh, government on the flip side you know having some predictability and some continuity around that type of model as regardless i think of where you stand on it that level of predictability that it was 40, we know on April 1st, it's going to be 50, um, you know, and it's going to be those different price increments. I don't know. Part, part of me says that's good. It, 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 it's predictable and you can make some decisions mm -hmm. around it. The cap on emissions is a different one. And I don't know, like somebody told me the other day that, and I haven't looked into this, but the, the emissions have, have been pretty flat anyways, as, as a, as a, uh, as an industry. So, mm. you know, is that, is that really saying something? I don't know. The, the 40% reduction is definitely saying something, uh, cause that's just 40% relative to a previous index. And so that's real. So there's definitely some, 
I think, kind of propaganda. And then there's some reality to this that uh, is going to make waves. But the reality is, I think, as much as Kenny and those folks will talk about it, on the ground, people are taking action. Like, oh, whether, yeah. Whether it's policy-driven or finance-driven, people are definitely you know, really working hard to drive emissions out of, you know, oil and gas and do it, do it as quickly as, as possible. And they see it as an opportunity to, to, to develop and, and nurture new technology. So yeah. Um, anyways, I, I wanted to kind of comment halfway and then we can keep moving through Mr. Trudeau's. Uh, yep. Yeah, no, no, no problem. So the, the next one is clean electricity, <clears throat> excuse me, clean electricity. So on Monday, he stated a commitment toward achieving net zero emissions within Canada's electricity grid by 2035. That part was a little interesting to me because all I kept thinking about was, oh, the ISO report. <laughs> and, you know, the fact that there's going to be so many more uh, natural gas fired power plants will be op in operation, at least in, Ontar in the Ontario context, uh, during, you know, refurbishments and uh, retirement. So uh, 2035 is not that far away in the grand scheme of things. And considering no. when the, re the retirement and refurbishments will take place, it'll be interesting to see if we can really do that. So anyways, there's that piece. And then he also announced under the clean electricity uh, statement, uh, $1 billion in aid to help developing countries transition from coal-based electricity to clean power. Hmm. Uh, okay, so now there's a couple more categories still to go. Uh, methane emissions. Um, and this is only one article, by the way, so we'll have to see if I can get to all of them. Uh, <laughs> um, so on Tuesday, Canada officially joined the Global Methane Pledge, which aims to reduce methane emissions by at least 30% below 2020 levels by 2030. Trudeau also repeated another election campaign promise to reduce methane emissions in the oil and gas sector by 75% below 2012 levels by 2030. Um, I'll, I'll stay away from the announcement on countries, land and oceans. Not that it's, you know, I, I necessarily need to avoid it, but I'll, I just, for the, for the purposes of our discussion today, I'll, I'll kind of remove it from here. It is in yeah. the article though. The methane one, I, I remember reading about that one, uh, and I was reading it with excitement, but then, you know, I think a lot of it's focused on, you know, fugitive emissions from, from gas processing, uh, for me, as people know, uh, you know, big biogas fan. Uh, there's a lot of methanes coming out of a lot of methane emissions coming out of agricultural sources. Uh, but the, at least the article I read, I don't know about the one you read, was was silent about that, and, and nothing really kind of dovetailed into that. As and, and it may be, I don't know the numbers. It may be small in comparison to, um, you know, into uh, fugitive emissions from gas processing and gas, you know, transport. But you know, it's a it's an area to get you know, a different part of the, the industry on board. And so I was disappointed to see that uh, omitted, but there, there may be a good reason. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't see any of the articles I read either, actually. Um, the last one is more international aid. So Trudeau announced Tuesday investments of up to $57.5 million to help some of the world's poorest countries adapt to climate change. Mm -hmm. So that's one article. Uh, I sort of covered off the Kenny one already. Uh, let's cover off a couple of other highlights i guess um this is also in the toronto star it was a, a cop 26 in the cop 26 notebook section the article is titled india vows to get to net zero by 2070 i saw this one it's a big one yeah yeah but but there are there are other parts in in here uh, in terms of other countries but uh i think the main focus was uh, with uh, at least on this one was india the us and brazil i think um so, yeah, basically, they're receiving quite a bit of flack. India's um, prime minister is receiving quite a bit of flack because, you know, when everybody else is kind of committed to 2050, 
he's committed to 2070. Some people say at least like, you know, they're, they're setting the right goals or making plans. They're trying to take this in the right direction. And others are saying, well, come on, like, we got to do this faster. We got to do this by 2050. Why are you 2070? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that will be exactly two decades, as I just stated, behind the United States and at least 10 years later than China in terms of commitments, by the way. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think they have a different, you know, there's a different starting point. There's a different level yeah. of, you know, affluence and a different level. Yeah, they're just starting from a very different point. I think that's, we, and we've talked about that a lot in our various conversations around this is, you know, it's it's one thing for us to say we can be net zero on electricity when we have a, you know, an abundance of hydroelectric. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, if they don't have that in India and they, you know, have been burning coal because it's all they can, you know, it's all that's affordable. Well, that's the starting point. Right. So yeah. I think we have to, you know, my mother used to say we need people on the extremes to move the middle. And as long as we're all moving in the middle or moving in the right direction, speed is important, but it's not everything. Yeah. And and I think uh, to your point, you know, like, you know, we're a good we're a great country in terms of, you know, where we stand globally. But. You know, there was a cost to all of that. There was a cost to us putting in nuclear, right? There was a cost to us putting wind and solar and and biomass in. So, um, you know, they're obviously not there yet. So that's an important factor when we're thinking about where some of the country's starting points really are, right? And I think the other thing, it's an interesting parallel with with COVID vaccines, right? So the COVID vaccines went to the wealthy, you know, privileged parts of the world first. And then they're now spreading throughout the world. Well, the reality is, until we get to full vaccination as a world, it's still going to be a problem, right? And the reality is the same is true for emissions, is the wealthy, privileged nations can invest in renewables and, you know, clean their air and and improve their, but we all share the same air, right? And so until we all get to a net zero world, that, you know, ambient temperature is going to continue to climb. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I guess uh, in terms of the U.S., in a markedly more humble tone, uh, the U.S. leader, uh, President Joe Biden, acknowledged at the summit on Monday that the United States and other energy-gulping developed nations bear much of the responsibility for climate change, which, you know, I would kind of agree with that, and said actions uh, taken this decade to contain global warming will be uh, decisive in preventing uh, future generations from suffering. The president treated the already visible crisis for the planet as a unique opportunity to reinvent the global economy. So it's good that he's kind of seeing some positive, I think, out of that. And standing before world leaders gathered in Scotland, he sought to portray the enormous cost of limiting emissions from coal, oil and gas and natural gas as a chance to create jobs by transitioning to renewable energy and electric automobiles. So, you know, interesting there. And then uh, I'll stop on this last announcement and I'll skip the fourth article. Um, Just before we move off uh, President Biden, I I do like that. And as Canadians, I don't know if that make that narrative makes its way into what we talk about as much. But that notion of using this problem as an opportunity to create, you know, jobs and industries and wealth. And I think that the German, you know, it's not perfect either, but the German track record of the last 20 years of creating a bio and a, a renewable economy has created a whole generation of us who have grown up in this space and businesses that are exporting and who've you know, developed new and emerging technologies. And it's, it's a problem and there's solutions to it. And I think framing it in that light 
is inspirational, but it's also practical. And I yeah. think uh, I think that's the right the right tone that has to filter through a lot of these a lot of these conversations. So I, I, I'm encouraged to hear that. No, good point. Good point. And then the last one I have here is on Brazil. I'm, I'm sure there's many more articles that really summarize every, you know, all of the different various countries' commitments. Uh, but Brazil on Monday stepped up its commitment against greenhouse gas emissions, aiming to have them by 2030 as compared to 2005 levels, uh, while critics allege the government is tinkering with data. <laughs> I won't go into the data. I, I'm not sure what they mean exactly with the uh, the government Sorry, is tinkering you said, with data. You said to have emissions? To like have. To have. Like, like yeah. H-A-L-V-E, not... That's right. They're That's not aspiring right. to H-A-V-E emissions. C correct. Correct. That, that would be counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah. That would be. That would be very... Uh, so that's that's basically the review of uh, at least in, in what I can we can do in just under uh, 30 minutes um, on the COP26 summit. Yeah, it's do you do you know is the summit done? Is it like how long does it go? Is it uh I I feel like it's done, but I think there's still some where the world leaders are meeting, if I'm not mistaken, for another week. I could could be wrong. Um I'm pretty sure that's the case, but don't quote me on it. Okay. Well, yeah, it's uh I mean a lot of it is fanfare, a lot of it is just, you know, talking heads, uh, as is this show, ironically. Uh, <laughs> But but I think, you know, it's it's conversations that were not happening even five, you know, certainly not 10 years ago. Right. So, yeah, oh, I think yeah. that's that's an indication. Yes, there's a lot of noise, but I think the the signal uh, in that noise is uh, is going in the right direction. So uh, cool. Well, thank you for being prepared. And I've seen your space there. For those who can't see it, Lisa literally has cutouts from the newspaper as if they were her clippings as she was some pro athlete and you know, she was <laughs> her clippings from her escapades. Uh, well, it, it makes it easy that I get the Toronto star delivered to my, right. uh, my front door every morning. So when yes. I'm reading the paper and I, uh, I see a couple of articles that might be of interest, I cut them out. <laughs> most, most people read the paper with a cup of coffee. You read it with a pair of scissors. Right? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, as always, we finish with a face off and we invite uh, our good friend, Mark to uh, referee our face off. Mark, welcome. Oh, there we go. Okay, I'm here. Hello, Hello there, Mark. Hi, guys. You've got your, is that your Christmas backdrop there? Right. Uh, I'm slowly easing my way into it. I wouldn't say it's quite Christmas yet, but uh, it's it's a start. It's November 1st, man, in retail. That's when we train, change our music over to Christmas music, November 1st. <laughs> yeah, actually, my, it's funny. My wife usually, as soon as November hits, puts the tree up right away, but we've been doing really? it right away. Yeah, in she November? just loves it. She loves it, yeah. And, wow. um, and not only that, we have two trees. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Two. So, That's it. In our house, we're having a conversation about a third this year. Come on. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. Oh, wow. So, and I'm always like the Grinch. I love Christmas. Don't get me wrong, but I'm always just like, okay, hey, let's just wait till like middle of November, middle to late November at the earliest. But I never get my way. But until this year, sorry, because it's um, we're doing renovations in our house. Mm. We've put it. We've put a sort of a, you know put them on the back burner for now. Mm. We wait until the Macy's Day Parade on American Thanksgiving. That's that's oh, typically yeah? that or my daughter's birthday in December. Um, another narrative I heard today was if you start to acknowledge Christmas before the 11th of November, you're not respecting the vets, which I kind of buy. Like, you know, uh, you know so yeah. Um, Anyways, that is not our round, our face-off. You have a different face-off for us. Yeah, although that would, that would have been a good topic. That would have been a good um, That would have been, yeah. Yeah, this one is um, genetically modified foods, pros and cons. 
I'm neutral on this as of now. So you guys have to convince me, uh, you know, whether you believe in it or not, you have to take a choice. You take a, a side regardless. So um, I'll let Matt call this one. Heads or tails, Matt? Sure. Tails. It is tails. So pros or cons, genetically modified <laughs> You take this either way. That's the problem. <laughs> I know. I'll take uh, – I was sitting – when we finished recording our podcast this morning, I saw in Lisa's pile of paper cons and a whole list. <laughs> I, should, I should take a look at what that I didn't. I couldn't read the writing. But uh, yeah, that, that was something like that. Uh, I will take the uh, pros of genetically modified. Uh, okay. Good. I didn't have as much for that one. <laughs> okay. Oh, shoot. Um, so, you know, I I come from, people know I come from agriculture on my mother's side, and, um, you know, agriculture is hard. Uh, it's hard to, uh, you know, raise uh, livestock. It's hard to uh, grow a crop and uh, return, get a return on that investment, and it's a thankless job because most people don't know where that food comes from. So one of the benefits, I think, of genetically modified uh, food is that, it increases the chances and it increases the yield and it, it it's a more efficient means by which to farm which means that it's also a more efficient means of less water less energy depending on what it is i think it allows us to uh to do a lot of things um more efficiently in the agricultural community so that's number one number two you know 100 150 years ago um you had a lot of you know resist or not resistance you had a lot of um vulnerability to drought uh, to weather events, the genetically modified um, crops have, have, you know, really eliminated that, which solves a lot of problems. It it reduces the burden on insurance, right? You don't have to have crop insurance, which never paid what you needed it to anyways. Um, and it also, more importantly, makes sure that we have a consistent food supply. And I think that one of the main, you know, mindful of my, uh, my time here, one of the main benefits of genetically modified uh, food is that it allows us to you know, feed the world. We, we have to provide food, you know, poverty and, and, you know, a good food supply and hunger is still a big problem in today's world. And, but I think we're a lot further ahead because, you know, we can grow more food with less resources. We can, um, we can keep food longer, you know, the food, uh, I think, you know, can deliver more nutrients. So I think all in all, genetically modified uh, stuff allows us to feed more of the world. And there are still many people, um, many people hungry uh, in this world so so i think we can help that so uh at, at that the uh the uh, state rests all right all right all right my turn now so so mark when you sent us this this morning i had my mother in my head actually because hmm. <laughs> my mother is always trying to convince me to buy organic foods and meats without antibiotics or growth hormones or any of that stuff so i just had her in my head and so that kind of made things a little bit easier for me to come up with a con list but anyways uh i also did of course as you know just a little bit of research but uh basically <laughs> gen genetically modified foods are relatively new um i can't tell you exactly when they first started but they're really isn't a lot known about the long-term effects and safety of the food. So that is perhaps a little bit problematic for some of us. Um, genetically modified foods uh, have the potential to also trigger allergic reactions, it turns out, because they may contain genes from allergens. Didn't know that, but interesting. Uh, some reports also indicate that gen gen genetically modified foods can contribute to the development of cancer. And so if we think about the cancer rates today, 
it depends on what cancer we're talking about. Some are like literally like one in eight, one in nine. And the fact that we could be contributing to that problem even more when we're trying to solve this whole, you know, cancer crisis uh, on its own. The, the fact that so many of us have been touched by people's lives or by, the, by um, you know, cancer that has triggered somebody's, uh, the loss of the person we love. I, I don't know. I just feel that uh, if, if that could be a, a trigger, then, you know, that's a big safety concern in my mind. And then there is also some concern that uh, genetically modified foods can boost uh, a crop's resistance to disease or make it more tolerant to herbicides, and that could affect the ability of people to defend against illness. So all in all, uh, I agree with some of Matt's statements that, you know, in terms of feeding the poor and, um, you know, certainly uh, the fact that obviously we're, we're losing land in some cases and, you know, how do, we, how do we do this in a kind of more effective way? But I feel like in the end, it's still a big con because we don't have enough testing, we don't have enough data to really support the fact of whether this is safe to consume long term. Yeah, I'm sort of on the fence for this one, especially with like some of the food we get. We don't we don't know. You go to the supermarket, you don't know what hormones these these animals are getting, what kind of bacteria they're they're living in as well, right? So it's sort of like a a, a balance. So um, hmm. Wait, I have one extra thing just to add. <laughs> okay. Just just because it's interesting what you just said about bacteria. So for our listeners who are not aware, some of them are, I'm pregnant. And I can't, can't tell you what, like the, the list of things that I cannot eat is ridiculous. Mm. Basically soft cheeses and even pineapple and some other fruits because of bacteria that could be in the mm. food that could affect myself and the fetus. Or actually it's not a fetus anymore, but, uh, you know, it's still like, you know, huge concern for pregnant women. So, the fa- so you think about it like that mm-hmm. and then you explode it to someone who's not pregnant and the effects it could have on somebody and that could just be huge. Yeah, so I wonder if one day like the gem- genetically modified foods could be so clean that we are 100% sure of what is in there and what we're putting into our body, right? I don't know if they're there now, but um, yeah. We need, we, need blockchain. we need blockchain for genetically modified foods. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. I don't, I don't think we're there yet, so I think I have to go with Lisa because she, a, she's always just so prepared. Um, but I'm not 100% sold on that either because, you know, like I said, we, we still don't know 100% where our food comes from, what's involved in creating that, right? So, so you guys are cho- you're choosing to wait until the data is in and until then the rest of the world has to start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So 50 <laughs> years from now, we'll get together and we'll talk about this exact thing and, and uh, have an answer for them, hopefully. Just imagine what we'll look like in 50 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. imagine, what my, imagine what my mustache will look like yeah <laughs> uh, it'll be about as long as mine right, right. now yeah that's right yeah <laughs> did you pick i couldn't i couldn't hear you you said i won is that what you said yeah no i, I said i'm still <laughs> leaning towards lisa but uh, there, just because she was so prepared otherwise I mean, it's like I said, it's hard for me to even decide because we we don't know exactly what the genetically modified food industry will look like in a few years from now. Even I mean, two years, three years, four years, who knows? <clears throat> it is. Was, yeah, I'll I'll take the loss. It's a tough one. I I I do. You know, my my mother. I I also thought of my mother when this came up because she she will often lament that you know the the wheat germ in particular is not what it used to be 50 years ago and. You know, is that contributing to, you know, what some people call, might call wheat belly and, you know, we've got a lot, a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of good oh, yeah, documentaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, on uh, on Netflix and places like that that uh, can expose some of this. So uh, it's a good discussion. I mean, that's the that's the beauty of this platform. We hope to have you know raise the specter of the discussion and make people aware of what's going on and develop your own opinion. We're just here. Uh, talking so yeah thank you both as always this is fun uh next week uh hopefully we can gather in a special remembrance day edition or what do the americans call it veterans day is, it, is that their analog yeah for, yeah so until then uh, to both of you and to our listeners uh, stay safe and have fun thank you both Bye. thanks matt talk to you later thanks mark Bye-bye. bye bye